Welcome to the Mindful Runner Podcast, a show about running and racing, trail and ultra in South Africa. Along the way, we'll be talking training, gear, nutrition, and mindfulness, all in the context of the South African racing scene. I'm your host, Fred Richardson, founder and head coach at Mindful Runner. Stay tuned as I do my best to give you all the information and none of the waffle. So I'm here with uh, Sean O'Keefe of Live Adventures, and Sean is a race organizer in the Eastern Cape. He's an ultra runner, a hundred miler. He's an Ironman, but most importantly, he's the organizer of Addo Trail Race. And um, Sean, thanks so much for joining us. I'm hoping to dig into your brains and, and find out exactly what Addo is all about. Yeah, thanks, Fred. It's nice to be here. So tell us a bit, how did the, the event start? How some history of the event? Okay, so Addo was started by Nadia and Estian Arndt. Um, if you've ever heard of the Kalahari Okrabi's uh, Extreme Marathon, the Desert Race, the five, six-day Desert Race, uh, Estian started, yeah, they started Addo and Kalahari pretty close to one another as far as I can remember. Um and I think Eston was like a little bit ahead of his time. I mean, Addo started in 2005. And uh, it started off as a 100-miler and a 50-mile race. Um, it was run as a 100-miler from 2005 until 2009 was the last time they ran it as a 100-miler. Um, and I think the reason for that is just at the time, trail running hadn't really taken off like it has now. In South Africa, it was still very early days for the sport in this country. And I think there just weren't enough runners to warrant putting on a race with the logistical challenges that Addo has for, of that sort of distance, you know. Um, 2005, so they ran the 100 miler for five years. And then in 2009 was the last year they ran the miler. And at the same time, they introduced a 50K distance. And then from 2010 until 2012, they ran just the, the 80K and the 50K races together. I mean, Sheen and I actually ran the last 50K version at Addo. That was our very first ultra that we ever ran, was Addo. Oh, wow. <laughs> so in my own ultra running history, Addo was my first ultra. You know what I mean? Oh, nice. So it's got a very special place in my heart for that, from that sort of perspective. And then 2013 and 2014. So, so 2013 is when they shortened the 15, the 80 down to the 76 and the 44. And the main reason for that is, is in the earlier days, they used to start those two races on the other side of Kirkwood. So your first sort of six Ks or so, you'd actually run through Kirkwood Town. Uh, and that comes with its own challenges because now you're running on, on public roads. You've got to involve the traffic department and various other bits and pieces. Uh, so just from an organizing point of view, it was just a little bit simpler to actually start them at the entrance at the Kabucha Gate. Um, so when we ran it, the Kabucha Gate was our very first checkpoint, our first water point. And that's where, where we start the 44 and the 76K from now. So, yeah, so Nadia and Estian ran the race for 10 years, uh, and we took it over in 2015, so the first year of its second decade of history. So it's got a good, nice, long history. You know, I mean, we've been, we've been managing at it for seven years. So it's this year was the 17th edition of the race as, a, as an entirety. Um, and, um, yeah, we took it over in 2015. That was the sort of the handover year from, from Estian and Nadia to us. We were learning the ropes, figuring out the routes, getting to meet all the all the checkpoint crews that had been with them for the last 10 years, um, understanding some of the logistical challenges behind race setup, which, I mean, that's a whole story on its own. Um, and then we decided, right, the timing was right to bring a hundred mile to bring the hundred miler back. Trail running was exploding. Um, there were there were already a couple of hundred k races, and Addo being the first hundred miler made sense to be the first one, the first new hundred miler, if you want to put it that way. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So the 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 the, the main difference between then and now is uh, in the early days, the hundred miler used to start at Darlington Dam, which is right on the other on, where the drop back checkpoint is on the current 100 mile course is on the other side of the mountains from there basically so they used to everybody used to come to main camp then they used to put all the 100 milers in the bus and bus them off to Darlington Dam which is like a two and a half to three hour bus ride <laughs> and then they run back kind of thing you know and in those days the races all finished at main camp which created some problems for sandbox because there was continuous disruption within main camp and it affected other 
people that were staying at main, main camp in the campsites and the campgrounds and what have you. So when we brought it back, we came, we, we, we made the decision. The first thing was we wanted all the races to finish at the same place, which was Zuburg. Um, and we wanted to start the miler at main camp to still give main camp that focus and to, to create the excitement and that sort of thing from a sandbox perspective to give them the exposure from that side of things, but also to be in and out of their hair in a very short space of time. So that's kind of like how the the, the new format sort of evolved basically for the for the races, you know? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's exciting starting from main camp with all that history yeah. there. I mean, you, you'll see elephants mm. literally as you're standing at the start line kind of thing. So Yeah, and, absolutely, yeah. Sure. Okay, so there's three different routes. Um, the 46, 76, 44, 100 44, 44, 76, 100 miler. 44, 76, 100 miler. It's still yeah. an ultra, right? 44 Ks is still an ultra. Technically <laughs> speaking, yes. Yeah, yeah. I know it is. And it's, yes. listen, it's not an easy, it's not an easy course, you know? Um, the, the, the 44 is a great race for somebody that wants to wet their feet in terms of ultra trail running. Um, it's manageable. It certainly has some challenges thrown into the mix. I mean, you've got one or two really nice big climbs in there. Uh, there are lots of river crossings, as you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's a manageable, it's a manageable distance, uh, and we're very, we, we, we're very generous with the cutoffs on the forty-four. I think, I mean, we've had people that have walked the forty-four in the twelve-hour cutoff time for that. So, yeah. from that sort of perspective, the, 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 that that intense time pressure of making cutoffs is. While you go into the race thinking, God, am I going to make the cutoffs? They're actually, they're so generous that you don't really have to worry about them from that perspective. You know, we want people to finish. Yeah. The 40, you know what I mean? The, the, the 44, you want yeah, people to finish. Yeah. The 44. The 44, we want people to finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we want everybody to finish if we if they can. And you shouldn't be entering races like this unless you are actually properly prepared for it, which is where guys like you come in, is to make sure the runners are actually prepared for it. Because from an organizing point of view, Having to extract people out from a race course like that presents its own set of challenges. You know what I mean? It takes a long time to get into some of those checkpoints. Um, it takes a long time to get them out. You can only carry so many people in a four by four. So, um, yeah, you want people to actually get in and out of there on, under their own steam as much as possible. So, yeah, the forty four is is is. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful race. We like we affectionately call it the nappy dash <laughs> out of the three. But it, it make no mistake, it, it it is still quite a challenging race uh it's no walk no walk in the park <laughs> um it's very runnable uh it, it you get presented with a re nice range of terrain all the way through it you'll there's sections of single track there are sections of jeep track there's some nice river crossings big climbs beautiful views once you get up to the top of the climb at ellie's uh, you've got those amazing views off the top of that ridge line there yeah. so yeah it's got a nice sort of mix thrown into it the, i would say out of the three um from a time pressure point of view the 76k is by far the toughest um, the 76 has only got a 15 hour cutoff. So the 44 has got 12 hours. The 76 yes. has got 15 hours, but it's got 32 Ks extra that you've got to cover. Yeah. And those first 32 Ks are from, in my opinion, quite tough. Um, when we took the race over, the 44 used to finish at Zuburg and the 76 used to finish down at main camp. Yeah. So that was already a disjointed thing for us. We, so we, we needed to figure out a way to, to, to make sure that we could get the 76 to finish back at uh, at Zuberg as well. So we have a cohesive race experience for everybody involved. Families can all wait at one point for their runners to come in, all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. So um, the first variation we tried on the 76 is we, we, we they basically followed the 44K course into to Zuberg, and then we took them out on another 30Ks out sort of towards Anne's Villa and back. And it, while it worked, the feedback we got from the runners was like it was very difficult to come in so close to the finish and then have to scoot out again for another 30Ks. Yeah. So we revised the route. I went hunting uh, in the Kabuka section and managed to find that distance in the Kabuka section. It has a couple of really nasty climbs in it now. Uh, it's got two extremely technical, super steep downhills thrown in, in that first 30Ks. So the 76 is, is front-loaded. Uh, it's got quite a bit of technical stuff in it, and you've got the really, really tight cutoffs. So the 76 is a hard race. Um, if you're going to enter the 76, you must be properly prepared for it, and you must be, pre be prepared to race. It's not one where you can just amble and take your time because you just won't make it. You know? um, and that rejoins the, the 44K route. Almost at Kabucha Gate again, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's like 200 meters from the start uh, is where it comes back in. So there's the, there's a 32k loop. It comes basically back, and then it follows the 44k route to the finish. Um, so all three all all three of the races actually share quite a big common piece, which is that stretch between 
It's it's basically that whole forty four k route, you know, um, between Kubelgate and uh, and Zuberg, which I always think is great because as a as a participant in the forty four or the seventy six, you get to see these hundred milers coming through. You get to run with with people of much. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 for the guys in those bigger races, it's it's also an awesome experience because. They get such good feedback from a lot of the 44k runners. They get a lot of encouragement. They get a lot of admiration uh, coming through. I mean, I remember when we did it as the 50, and we we, we had this French guy staying uh, the, the place that we were sta- our accommodation that we were staying at. Uh, there was a, a guy that had traveled all the way from France to come and do. In those days, it was it was still the 80k, and and we saw him on route. He like he sort of ran past us on the route, and we like I was just amazed. You know, I'm mean, like for me, I was trying to wrap my head around surviving 50k's, and here these guys were doing 80k's, and this guy had already done a whole stretch of distance and came past and overtook me like nothing on earth and just jeeted up the hill. So so yeah, it 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 is. It's inspiring for the guys doing the lower distances to see these big guys coming through. And by the same token, the guys doing those bigger races get a lot of energy um from the guys in the 44. You know, and that helps. I mean when you're in a, a like a funky place, you you you've hit a bit of a wall or whatever and you've got a whole bunch of other runners just going, come on, wow, you're looking amazing, keep going. It it lifts your spirits kind of thing. So it's nice to mix them in together, uh, and it's nice for everybody to sort of get a bit of a touch and a feel of the different distances uh, at the same time, you know. Okay, and then the granddaddy, the hundred miler. So the hundred miler, yeah, you've got thirty-seven hours to finish the miler. So we typically started at two p.m. on a Friday, and you've got until three a.m. on the Saturday on the Sunday morning is your final cutoff. Um, the reason that we started um, in the day uh, and also sort of at the time that we do it is we wanted to have, we wanted the start of the miler to be like a really big experience. And because we do all the race registrations at main camp, uh, obviously pre-COVID we were doing that, but because we had everybody there, we had all the 44K athletes were there to register, the 76K guys were there to, to register. So we had all the athletes there to send the milers off on their journey, which for me was quite an important thing as well. It's it's good for 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 those, those smaller distances to actually to see these guys that are about to go and tackle 100 miles of like pretty serious terrain. It creates a, uh, it created a bigger sort of start atmosphere, I think, uh, and that's beneficial for Sandpox as well. It gives nice exposure to the park uh, and highlights that sort of component too. So, so yeah, so that's why we started on the on the Friday afternoon. It also gives them a little bit of extra daylight <laughs> to yeah. to run in, you know. Yeah. And it also adds a little bit more heat to them to the mix, obviously depending on what the temperatures are like. Yeah. So okay. That's a good point, Sean. Heat. <laughs> and it's got a reputation for being a hot race. Is it a fair reputation? Yeah, I think it's a very well-deserved reputation. The time of the year that we time the race, uh, March to sort of mid-March to early April. You know, and a lot of people ask me, why does this why do the dates shift around so much all the time? And the reason for that is uh, we always try and time the race weekend for a full moon or as close to a full moon as we can get, specifically for the milers. Because they spend so much time running through the night, they run all, all night Friday nights, and a lot of them a big chunk of Saturday nights as well. Being in the park where you can switch your headlamp off and still be able to see like it's almost daylight is quite an amazing experience, especially when you are so far removed from anything and you have this bush around you that is just alive with noise and rustlings and everything else that goes with it. You know what I mean? It, it really is. It's an amazing experience. So. Shifting it around is always get around the full moon, but that time of year is also sort of Addo's hottest time of the year. Um, we've had two very hot races in the seven years that we've done it. Uh, we've had one year where we had wet weather, which was a completely different beast to deal with from a, an organizing point of view. And the other years have all been fairly average heat-wise. When I say average heat-wise, 40 to 45 degrees is an average heat year for Addo. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a hot race. It's hot. <laughs> yeah, it's hot. So, with that much heat… How much water is there on the course? We work our water allocations out based on a liter per runner per 10 kilometers. So if you work it out on that sort of basis, we are sitting at about 4,000 liters of water that we need to we need to move out. Then we've also got to include water for all the checkpoint crews, water for all our medical teams, water for the sweeps. We typically move anywhere between four and a half to 5,000 liters of water out onto the course. And that's all got to be moved by hand. Basically, so so we get it delivered um, from our water sponsor in, in, in big ten-liter bottles, um, and then I spend a week in Addo before the race, basically moving water out onto the course. And while we're doing that, we 
dropping markers, putting up intersection signs, putting the river river crossing stuff in place, et cetera, you know? So, so we couple the two together. But yeah, that's the biggest logistical challenge for us at Addo is actually getting the water out on site so that it's there for uh, runners to be able to drink. And some of that, some of those points that you're dropping water are completely inaccessible by, by vehicle, right? You guys are carrying that water in physically on yeah. your back. Yeah. Yeah, there's one point where we actually have to physically carry it in, which is which is uh, it's the Valley of Tears self-service water drop, which is basically halfway through the Valley of Tears on the hundred-mile course, um, and uh, yeah, depending on how many hundred-mile entrants we have, we we typically have to carry anywhere between eighty and hundred liters of water in there, but it's a, it's an eight k hike to to where the water the the drop point is the the midway yeah. point in that valley, and it's it's all single track up and down terrain. It's quite gnarly terrain, so. Um, I normally rope uh, the Sandbox Rangers in, uh, and then myself and my own team guys will pick up the, the slack on that, and then we'll we'll go in. But that's that on its own is an is an eight hour mission. It's you know to, to, just to hump it all in basically so that it's there for them. The rest of it is all driven in on on four by fours, but pretty much most of of, of Addo's entire route is only accessible with four by four vehicles. So so to get to a checkpoint can take you four hours just to drive there, and then you've got a four hour drive back to reload for the next checkpoint. So it takes a lot of time to get to some of these places. They're accessible, but it, but it's 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 very slow driving. Um, and yeah, it takes a long time, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned it, Valley of Tears. Uh, it's got a le- legendary status at, at Edo. Explain a bit more about it. <laughs> okay. The Valley of Tears, um, it came about when uh, when Dallas and I were scouting the, the route for the very first time. The you know when when we went to Sandbox and said listen we'd like to bring the we want to bring the Mila back but this is how we want it to work it's got a start here at main camp it's got to finish at Zuberg and you've got to help us figure out 100 miles of of course and uh, the 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 chief ranger in Addo at the time John Ardendorf amazing guy I mean he's this guy who had so much knowledge about uh, about the, the area John said to us he said look he worked out a, a basic couple of couple of course variations and we sat down and we tweaked it. Uh, and then he said to us, said, look, in order for this race to work, you, you guys are going to have to open this old hiking trail. It was a trail that was cut by forestry in the days when the land still actually belonged to forestry. And they then donated the land to, to Sandbox to expand the Kabuka section of Addo, that top section. So no one had been on the trail in 15 years, I think. Um, there was one ranger still alive that actually knew where it went because he used to patrol it in the early early days when 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 they took it over old max uh and max was about 73 or 74 in the shade uh at that time um so john said okay cool so so what you, you you're gonna have to go and cut it open but you're gonna have to go and map it first you know go and go and explore it so so dallas and i i, I still remember it was a it was during the world cup rugby and i think south africa were playing america on that day at 5 30 and we were like 17 Ks. Hell, man, if we get in there at seven, how long is it going to take us? We'll be out of there by two, maybe three o'clock. We'll all be back in time for the rugby. Be fantastic. I mean, how overgrown can it be, right? Yeah. So off we go. Myself, Dallas, and eight rangers. Two guys with guns, just in case we come across any wild animals in there. Um, because there are leopard and that sort of thing in those in, in those areas. Yeah. Uh leopards and bush pigs. And um off we tootled and we started going. And yeah, it was it's like slow going. We were walking at a fairly fairly decent pace, but we'd get to sections where we had to wait for Max to remember where he was and and pick up the landmarks that he could remember so that we could actually find the trail. But we, we found it, but a lot of it, there was a lot of clearing that it had to be done on the way, like big thorn trees have come over and then it takes you 20 minutes just to clear a path through that section to get back onto the trail kind of thing. And um, going through some of the sections on it, uh, Dallas turned around to me and said, "Yo, I said, the guys are going to cry when they're in here. I think it's going to be, this is this is going to be quite tough." Eh? And um, as we progressed during, through the day, we got to the to, to the water the watershed in the middle. We got to the middle. Now this is at about two o'clock, two thirty in the afternoon. We get to the, to this watershed. Now we don't really know where we are because we've got no tracking devices with us. Um, as you know, cell phones don't really work out in that area, so you can't use your phone apps yeah. to to see where you are. Um, or not none that we had at the time. And um, we got to the middle and sort of, I say to him, uh, ask Max, right, so are we going out just down through that little valley? And he's like, no, 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 no. And he points right into the distance. And he says, ah, oh, there's an upper. And we look, and he says, yeah, that's where we're going. And all I could see in front of me was this, just the sea of thick green bush. And I looked at the time, <laughs> and I'm like, where are we? He says, no, we're about halfway. So I was like, okay, cool. Now we know we're definitely not going to make the rugby. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, we ended up, we ended up 
getting to about four k's from uh, checkpoint thirteen, which is where they actually come in. We were we were hiking it in reverse basically when we were doing the mapping. And we got to that point, uh, the sun went down, there was no moon, it was pitch dark, none of us had brought torches with us, we didn't have any headlamps, we had two <laughs> cell phones with we had two cell phones with, with, with lights that were on their tail and batteries kind of thing, and yeah. uh, and the GPS GPS units that the sandbox guys were using to to mark um different plants and things as as we were going through the through there. And uh, yeah, let me tell you something, that place at night is is a completely different beast as well. So compared with the, you know, when when we added the, the first valley that we'd come through, Dallas was saying, the guys are going to cry. It's hot. Jeez, I mean, this is going to be tough. And then getting stuck in there in the dark and having to bushwhack our way out. And we only got out of there at about 11 o'clock that night to give you an idea, an idea of how long it took us to navigate that last four case, just trying to find our way through. I mean, we ended up walking out along the riverbed because it was the only way we could we could get out. Uh, we sat down the, the next day and we were like, oh, that is going to be, that's the thing that's going to make the miler, that section. It's got to, we've got to, it's got to have a name. And yeah. uh, I just thought back to his to his comment about the crying. And I said, well, let's call it the Valley of Tears because they are going to cry when they come through here. This is hard. You know, it is going to be tough. They're going to be hitting it at 110, 112 Ks into the race. Uh, it is seriously technical. It's got some really nasty climbs. I mean, you literally climb for five or 600 meters, I think, um, over your first eight Ks. It's got a lot of elevation in that first eight Ks and it's up and down kind of stuff. So, so yeah, that, that, that's how it came about, and uh, yeah, the name sort of I think was pretty aptly aptly it was aptly named. <laughs> it certainly seems so because it's it's kind of if you can make it through the Valley of Tears, you'll be okay. You'll if you can if you can survive time. the valley, you'll finish the race. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally, yeah, totally, totally. So the Valley of Tears is, is one of those gotchas in the race. What are the other tricks? The the things that you wish people would prepare for. Okay. Um, one of the questions is uh, I often get is like, why didn't you tell us about the river crossings? How many river crossings are there? Yes, there's so many river crossings, wet feet. So prepare to run with wet feet. Look, this year it wasn't too bad um, because we're in such a severe drought here in the Eastern Cape at the moment that water is super scarce, you know. Um, but if, you know, in, in, in a normal year and that first river section is is flowing you are going to get wet feet so you need to prepare for wet feet make sure that you've got some dry socks for after ellies you know, you know because the, the the river crossing is basically from the start on the 44 to ellies uh it's on that section of the 76k basically and the, and the milers run against the the grain of it in their first stretch as you know i mean you've swept that that section so they run from ellies back through to checkpoint six so yeah, i think we've counted 22 river crossings yeah, in that stretch. I, I lost count. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so so that number one, number one is, is wet feet. Number two is chafe. Make sure that you're well prepped for chafe. Uh, Squirrels is our sponsor from that perspective. It's a fantastic product. I mean, I don't use anything else anymore. And uh, I can tell you now that can make or break your race is if you don't treat your chafe side of things properly. And you will chafe it at it because you sweat so much. Because it's so hot that you, you're sweating salt. That salt builds up into your race kit and eventually just starts chafing your skin. And it gets, I mean, I've seen guys in extreme pain because they didn't manage the chafe side of things properly. So yeah, wet feet, chafe, uh, and train some hills. They are, it's not a flat race. Okay, there are some there are some big climbs. I mean, you the, the, the climb out from Ellie's to the top, so going on the on the 44K, that's from Ellie's Tavern to the top of the climb. It's a four and a half K stretch of road, I think. And you just it it just go, it goes up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And you know how steep that's some of the sections on that piece are. So you said road. That's not that's like four by four track. <laughs> so when you well, say yeah. road, and I think this is like you're so used to that road. It is a four by four trail that you have to. It be is. Like. It is. It's a four. It's 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 a super gnarly four by four trail. Actually, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been up there on a quad bike. Uh, I've been up there on foot a couple of times, uh, and I've been up there in four by fours. And yeah, it is. It's no matter which way you're going up there, it's gnarly. It really is. It's super super steep, um, and yeah, yeah, quite gnarly. So. <laughs> prepare yourselves for for that i think um make sure that you've got a good hydration plan in place uh cramping is another big thing that we get on because the guys sweat so much as well and they're not um replacing electrolytes and that sort of thing in uh that is a big problem thankfully we have tailwind on board as our sponsor from that perspective uh so when you get to checkpoints that have tailwind make sure you use it uh if you can train with it beforehand train with it before it's a fantastic product for this kind of racing uh, it's got pretty much everything that you sweat out is in tailwind. It really, really works well from that perspective. And um, 
Yeah, it, uh, cra- like I said, cramps can be a, a, another big killer for guys on, on this race, especially on the 76 and the miler. Uh, not so much the 44, but the 76 and the miler, definitely. You mentioned the fact that, that you've, got st- you've got tailwind stocked at, at, at aid stations, and the aid stations, I mean, I know because I've been through them, they're well stocked and they're well peopled by, pe- by passionate people. Yeah. So what do you typically have at an aid station? You mentioned tailwind. What else are we going to find? Okay, so, so we generally provide, uh, from an organizing point of view, we generally provide staple stuff at, at, the, at the station. So we've typically got a selection of fruits, that's generally stuff like watermelons, grapes, uh, bananas. Um, uh, what else do we normally have? The oranges, if we can get them, that kind of thing. Um, we will have uh, samis, so like peanut butter, marmite, um, samis, and that sort of thing are there. We generally have dravos and burvos. Um, we'll do potatoes. Um, and then staple stuff like tea and coffee. Uh, cup of soups are available at most of the checkpoints as well. Um, and then the checkpoint crews tend to want to put their own stamp on their checkpoints as well. And like we, we've got crews that have been with us year after year after year. A lot of them we inherited from Nadia and Estian. I mean, we've got one guy, Rudy. He hasn't been with us for the last two years because of personal commitments, but he's done every other addo outside of those. So out of 17 addos, he's done 15 of them as crew. Wow. I mean, it was like he, his girls grew up as part of his race crew part of his checkpoint crew, should I, should, I, should I say, you know? And they were known as Rudy and the Reddits because he's got these three beautiful daughters. So we, like, we provide the staple stuff. And then like on the 100 miler, for example, we have certain checkpoints that we know most runners are going to be eating in the dark. So we've got stuff like hot soup, hot vegetable soup, uh, chicken noodle soup, that kind of thing. Um, we have uh, checkpoint eight on the miler, which is also known as checkpoint hotel because uh, when we use our radio network, they've all got uh, radio call signs. So, and um, uh, Lynn and Roger, who manage that checkpoint, uh, typically, Lynn's very famous for either having sort of like a nice lamb stew or, or additional soup options and that kind of thing. So, we have hot food options at, uh, at a selection of them. And then also on the Milo, we've got a couple that are earmarked as breakfast checkpoints. So, we'll have stuff like oats uh, and uh, hard-boiled eggs and that sort of thing so that you can get those kind of things in as well. So, so yeah, they, they they do have quite a wide range, um, and we've even had people sort of say to us that it is one of the few races where you can put on weight during the course of the race of of running an ultra. You know, well, I know <laughs> sweeping, you definitely can. There's no question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I mean, like Ellie's Ellie's Tavern is probably one of the most famous race checkpoints in South Africa at the moment because of Ellie's. Special millionaire shortbread that she brings yes. in there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, yeah. If you've had it, you know. Uh, and if you haven't had it, you want to know. <laughs> it really is that good. So, where I mean, these people they, 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 that man the aid stations, they're all volunteers, right? Yeah. 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 They're all volunteers. They, they come from a range of different sort of sections. So, we have the, the Sandpox Honorary Rangers form the backbone of, of, of our checkpoint crews. Um, and it's important to have their involvement because they are so involved with the park as well, you know? They, they're amazing, amazing people. They are generally all properly kitted out from a vehicle point of view in terms of being able to get in and out. Um, they've got a, a lot of camping equipment. So, so the stuff that we need to actually put these checkpoints together in the bush, they have a lot of the required stuff from that perspective, gazebos, tents, um, gas cookers, gas lights, all that kind of thing. Um, and they love it. Uh, you, you know, the, 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 the Sandbox HRs love it. And then the remainder of the crew of the checkpoint crews are basically again just volunteers people like rudy for example who's been with the race for so long um and other runners you know we're seeing more and more people are realizing that getting involved with races behind the scenes is a great way to actually understand a little bit more about the sport uh i mean i've done it sheen and i volunteered races all the time as much as we can it's a great way for us to network and and promote our own races but you get to meet people you know what i mean and you get to see what goes into generating the experiences that you often have at other races you know what i mean so so it's important and from uh, like i'm a firm believer in like the community aspect of of trail running and how amazing that is uh it's one of the things that really attracted me to the sport in the first place and being able to give back to those races and to the community from that sort of perspective is a key thing so so we're seeing more and more people are, are now offering to come and jump in and volunteer with whatever whatever bits they can they can do i mean i've got Guys that help volunteer when we when we start uh, when we start our race prep the week before the weekend before race weekend, uh, and I, we try and get all the single track stuff done on that weekend because those are the most difficult bits to get people into and out of because they're so disjointed. 
So uh, we generally have quite a nice crew of local runners from PE that will come and join us on that. Um, and I can send one of my my own team with each one of those groups. Uh, they make sure that the marketing is done to spec the way I like, I like it done. Uh, everybody gets a chance to experience sometimes bits of the course that they normally wouldn't do. They might be a 44K runner, but they'll come and help us mark the Valley of Tears, for example. So they get a chance to see it and see what it's really all about and, and what's coming. So our checkpoint crews, I I love every single one of them because they provide such they're, – they're the face of the race, if you think about it. You know, I mean, like I'm involved, Sheena's involved, but we're busy with, with stuff all the time. The runner's experience are those checkpoint crews. Yeah, and having that consistency in your crews – over time is also quite important because they get to understand what the runners need. Then they get to understand how to manage them when they come in looking like they've been hit by a bus. <laughs> you know, they they, they, they they are key components. Um, our physio teams that we have in the Nikki Root and the team, um, they, they I know that they've saved many hundred mile runners races being positioned where they are and having the experience and the knowledge that they have to be able to patch those runners back up into a runnable condition and send them out to finish their race. So yeah, the, the, our crews are, are, are golden. They are our most valuable asset, I think, in terms of the race itself. No, no, yes, I've seen them. I've seen them in action and, and I agree 100%. So one of the other big challenges, and I know this because I've tried to phone people from the middle of the course somewhere, is there's no cell phone <laughs> coverage or it's at best very patchy. How do you yeah. coordinate this whole thing? You've got this network of, of radio geniuses, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lesson we learned the hard way. You know, um, the first year we did the the miler, uh, like the, the first year we did the race, we, it was our handover race. So, so we were kind of like just piggybacking along with Essie and Nadia and learning how things went. Didn't pay much attention to a comms thing at that time because it just wasn't on my radar from a, from an organizing perspective, even actually. And then when we brought the first year we did the miler, uh, twenty sixteen. We realized that communication is a big is, is a big 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 problem. You know, we had trackers that year, but when we saw guys going, of course, that we had no way of communicating to the checkpoint closest to them to actually go and go out and pull these guys back in. They've gone, of course, and that sort of thing. So we hunted around, and then we found the guys that we work with now. We, we, we our radio comms come from two components. We we have radio to radio communications who provide us with all of the handsets and stuff that all the checkpoints get, the base stations, the checkpoint guys get, the hand the handsets for you guys, the sweeps, uh, and for our medics and that sort of thing. And then we have the PEARS guys. Now, PEARS is the PE Amateur Radio Society. They are also all volunteers. Um, we cover their costs, like their, their, their petrol costs and stuff out there, but a lot of them just love coming out and being part of it because it, gets, it gives them a chance to do what they love doing, which is talk on ham radio, basically, you know? Um, and they... Once we had them in place, I couldn't. I had no idea how we actually managed without them because they provide such a critical component to us, specifically to me, uh, from a management point of view, in terms of seeing how things go and being able to deal with crises as they happen. Because I've got I've got Tony who sits at the jock, which is up at Zuberg. He's got access to the tracking system, so he can he and we've all got trackers on us. Like I've got trackers on me. All the medics have got trackers. You guys, the sweeps, have got trackers, and obviously all the all the miler athletes have got trackers. And it gives us uh, the ability to really you know, to deal with stuff as it happens. And and if we see somebody getting lost or we see a miler that's just stopped sort of in, in between two checkpoints, hasn't moved for 20 minutes, we there could be a problem. Are these passed out from heat stroke or who knows what else could have happened? So so we can deal with those things uh, a lot faster thanks to thanks to them. And yeah, it's a challenge, eh? I mean, we've got we 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 do put our own repeaters up. We, we bounce off two of the big repeaters, but there's sections inside the Zuberg where we actually have to put our own repeaters up so that we can have communications with all of the checkpoints. So every single checkpoint has has line of sight radio comms, with the exception of Ellie's. Ellie's Tavern is the, is the only one we don't have a direct line with, but Ellie's has a connection to the checkpoint at the top of the climb behind her. So, you know, behind her checkpoint. So so those two basically act as a daisy chain in terms of of, of of communicating through and then we we have a satellite internet connection we put a satellite internet setup uh, on a trailer at the entrance to the valley of tears as well so we, we, we we've evolved the race comms from having absolutely no radios to now having live tracking on the bottom section of the course live tracking on the top section of the course and full radio communication across the entire route so i can now pretty much talk to anybody at any time um, with the exception of you guys the sweeps that are moving in between those checkpoints but if something happens, there'll be a message waiting for you at one, or they can they can send somebody from a checkpoint behind you to deal with an issue with you, you know? 
Yeah, I think if anyone wants to like get an inkling of how complex the organization of the race is, from the time the 100 miler starts till the last guy crosses the finish line, just listen to the radio comms. It is busy yeah. all the time. With It's busy all the time, yeah. Stuff going on, yeah. That course yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's, be, that's because there is a lot that happens. Look, you've got a race, you've got 500 people that you're pushing through serious African wilderness. <laughs> Anything can go wrong, you know what I mean? I mean, whether, whether, whether it's whether it's medical extractions, medical emergencies that we've got to pull them out, um, you, you know, there, there are there are a wide range of things that happen over the course of a race. And yeah, being able to communicate now really, I mean, I'm totally indebted to the guys at Pairs, but they really are. They're, they're fantastic, fantastic people to deal with. They, they, they're, like, they, they're involved with a lot of the races here in this region in the Eastern Cape, a lot of the mountain bike races, uh, a lot of the motor car rallies. So they, they're well experienced from a race organizing and management perspective. They know how to deal with me as a race director. Tony's yeah, very good important. with that. Uh, you know, it's exactly, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, we, we, we do owe them a lot of gratitude because uh, we couldn't do it without them. So they are, they really are a fantastic group. I mean, they, the, the pairs guys even man, physically man the the last checkpoint in the race uh and they that's colin and, and jimmy um and they they even have their own nutritional drink that they bring along which is known as hupworth's piss uh if you speak to any of the 100 miler runners that have had it they'll tell you it works like a bomb it's a proper caffeine kick <laughs> but yeah i mean they, they really are they're just they're amazing people i mean the, the, this this past year we had a couple of vehicle issues in the setup week going into the race and I cut a long story short. I Sipo and, and I ended up on the side of a mountain with a with a flat tire and a spare that we couldn't get off because we didn't have a special adapter to get the spare tire off this the the rented four by four we had. And I needed somebody to bring me a spare tire. And the Rangers at Sandpox were at an Ibiza, so they couldn't help us until much later in the day. And we were lucky enough to be stuck on a piece of mountain where we had very we had a bit of cell phone reception. So the only person I could think of was Colin, and the, Colin did man, the, 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 the pairs guy that man's the, the last checkpoint. I phoned Colin. I said, listen, Colin, are you, you've been offering to help with race setup. I'm in a bit of a pickle. Um, he's like, well, what's the story? I said, this is where I am. I'm like two or three Ks from your checkpoint, and I need a spare tire brought to me so we can get this vehicle off the mountain. And he was like, give me one second. And I hear him chat in the background, came back to me, said, okay, cool. I've just rescheduled my day. Um, do you guys need any food? Do you need any water? Where do I pick up the tire? I'll be there in an hour and a half. And an hour and a half later, him and him and Jimmy pitched up in there four by four and came and rescued us off the mountain. They, they, those are the kind of people they are. They are gems. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Sean, the, the Addo itself, it's a it's a big mm. five reserve, right? But yep, the section correct. that we run through doesn't have any of the big five. No. Well, are the leopards big five? <laughs> you might just want to re, like rethink that, but yeah, we 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 don't have any lions, we don't have any buffalo, we don't have any rhino, and we don't have any elephant in that section. There are leopards. Uh, leopards have actually been spotted during the course of the race. One of our hundred mile go, uh, girls, uh, Pam, she's a good friend of ours here in PE. She spotted a leopard two, three years ago, I think. So there are leopards. They they are the Southern Cape leopards. So they are a smaller species of uh, of, of those cats. Uh, they're about two thirds the size of a Kruger leopard, uh, and they're very, very shy animals. So your chances of seeing one of, are, are very slim. Pam was extremely lucky to see hers. So uh, you don't really need to worry about the leopards. Uh, the next predator down the food chain are the jackals that we have in that area, um, and the jackals are quite quizzy when it comes to the runners. You know, they yeah. they, they don't present they don't present a threat to the runners. Um, they're just more curious than anything else because they don't see many humans on foot in those in, in those areas apart from the race and, and us when we're doing scouting missions and what have you. But um, they uh, they can be quite intimidating to to runners because they like to follow you. They they like to track along behind uh, the runners, and uh, that can be a bit unnerving when you're on your own in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you turn your headlight around and you've got five sets of eyes in the road, all looking at you, kind of thing. But yeah. it, it is more just a curiosity thing than anything else. Um, I mean, we had quite an interesting experience this year. Uh, one of our runners, on the, again, on the, a lot of the stuff tends to happen on the 100-mile course because it goes into a little bit more remote areas. But uh, one of the 100-milers was strolling along. Um, you might have seen the video clip that we put onto our Facebook page earlier this year. Strolling along, looking looking at the sky, and you can hear him talking, and he sort of says, oh, look, there's a shooting star. And then you just hear this horrible noise in the front. And he goes, oh, hold on, hold on. Something's happening on the road ahead of me. And as it comes, as these animals come into his headlamp, view he's like oh my god it's jackals it's jackals yeah. and they've killed a buck 
and five jackals had actually taken down a baby kudu. So he literally got to this kudu just after just after they'd taken it down. Um, and when you come across that, now you've got these animals that, that, that have pack hunted like a baby kudu. It, again, the runners get a little bit a little bit worried. But uh, I mean, you'll hear you'll hear Morris in his video just telling them to shoot. He's like, oh, shoot, shoot. So there's a bit of a growling in the background, but they tend to just sort of stay away. So my advice to runners on, the, on from that perspective is if you do see the jackals, don't pay them any attention. Just keep moving. Um, they will typically get out of your way. So, so the other concern are, are the hippos. The Milo guys cross. They have to. Go, they've got two big river crossings, but they've actually got to to go across a river at sort of knee knee to 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 mid thigh depth, I would say. And the first crossing is very close to a place called Mvubu Camp, uh, which is basically stands for Hippo Camp, basically. And there, there's quite a healthy population of hippos uh, in the river itself. And they tend to move. They can move anywhere from Mvubu Camp. They tend to stay in that area, but they have moved as far up the river as Darlington Dam, which is on the other side of the mountain. So we try to track their movements as much as we can in the, in, in the, the setup week. So we know, we, so we've got a rough idea of where they are because they tend to move as a herd. Uh, up and down yeah if you're running the 100 miler you'll be given a safety briefing with regards to what to do if you do come across the hippos because you you will typically only encounter them in the dark they tend to be in the water during the daytime but they come out to feed at night so that is our big worry um we haven't had any any direct encounters with hippos we had a couple of runners i think that had a a, a close-ish encounter they missed a turn on the mile and basically ran straight into Mbubu camp ran almost down to the river and they saw something really big coming out the bushes turned around and i was i was actually chasing them in in my car <laughs> and the next thing i saw these three runners hightailing it out directly against my headlamps sort of saying well i was like well, what where are you guys on your way to you realize you've made a wrong turn they said yeah we got down to the river and then we saw something really big in the bush we turned around and we hightailing it out of there so so they are there but we, we we mitigate those risks as much as possible. Look, you're in you're in a national park, so you are going to come across wild animals, uh, and you need to be cognizant of it. You know, I get, I get a lot of flack from from runners going, "Why can't we run with headphones in?" And the reason for that is because you need to be aware of your surroundings. I mean, I have come around a corner and nearly knocked heads with with a big kudu bull in the past. You know what I mean? It's it, those unexpected things can happen, and you cannot predict how those wild animals will, will react when they come to see you. You know, um, in the Valley of Tears, for example, we've got mountain, we've got mountain zebra in there, uh, and there is a herd of eland that, because they're no big natural predators in there, these guys have just grown and grown and grown. I mean, the eland are eland are already the biggest antelope in the world. These are the biggest, biggest antelopes I've ever seen in my life. They are massive, and I got caught in between that herd running down. One of the one of the the hillsides. I was we were doing a Sheen and I were doing a route scout. She wasn't feeling too well, so she turned back early. I went along in to the watershed. I turned around and I was on my way back. And the next thing, I just felt the ground start to literally vibrate around me. And I looked up to my left, and this whole herd, and there must be 25, 30 of them, came thundering down the hill right directly next to me and ran sort of, I just stopped moving. And they, I had Elon chundering down in front of me and Elon chundering down behind me. Now, if you get hit by one of those animals, you have tickets. They're, you know, they're, like, they're, they're as big as a horse. You know what I mean? They are massive, yeah. massive animals. So, so you, and, and that literally came out of the blue. They came out of a blind rise just to the left of me, came over that, and, and they were moving at pace. And they were, so they weren't cared about me. They wanted to get past me and down into the, into the bottom of the valley. So that kind of thing can happen. You know what I mean? And, and we've got ostriches. Ostriches love to race. So if we're ever in there in vehicles and that sort of thing, the ostriches always try and race the cars. If you're on foot, they can do that as well. And ostriches can also get quite aggressive. So, you know, um, yeah, be aware of where you are and, and appreciate where you are. You know, you don't get op many opportunities to run in a national park surrounded by wild animals, I think. Yeah. But that's the beauty of running in, as you say, in a wildlife reserve. You've got exactly. all that's these why animals. We do it, yeah. Exactly. That is yeah. why we do it. Um, Okay, so you've obviously, because it's a reserve, you've obviously got to limit the numbers. But with Correct. the growing popularity of, of trail, and I mean, I know you guys are already sold out on your 44, and I don't know about the 76, but I know there's an, a lot of people already going, put me on the waiting list. Are you going to increase yeah. the entries? We've, we, it's, a, it's a discussion we've had a number of times, and no. No. Um, I think from a, from a management point of view, 500 is the is the upper limit in terms of resources and ability to deal with a race that is spread out as as spread out as Addo gets from that perspective. 
Number two, I want runners, and Sheena feels very much the same about this, we want them to have a personal experience when they come and do Addo. And I think testament to that, that, that we've delivered that is, I would say 65% of our entrants are repeat entrants year on year. So people come and they get a really good experience at the race. Um, it's important for us that you don't feel like just a number. And I think the, the minute you start getting up to races with a thousand entrants, you're just another entrant. Um, if you are running the 100 miler or the 76 at Addo and you've got a question about the course, you send an email in, either myself or Sheena will answer that. So you'll speak directly to directly to the race organizers. You won't get a secretary saying, sorry, the race organizer or the race director is busy. He'll get back to you and wait a week and don't hear anything. We directly respond to all of that kind of stuff. Um, we deal with all of that admin in the in the months running up to the race itself. So by the time you get to Ada, we we're almost friends with you as a runner because we've had good communication back and forth. Um, we've got to know one another a little bit during that kind of communication. So it adds that personal sort of touch in it. And I think that's one of the special things about Addo is just that. The you family know? feeling. It's, it's, it's the yeah. family feeling. People walk away feeling like they're part of a bigger family. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so so if you want to get into Addo, make sure you follow the page. And when we say entrants are open, get in and get your entry because they do, you're right, they, they do go, they, they do go fast. I think the, We've sold it out as a race for the for the last three years. So it took us four years to take it from a race that had a maximum of about 200 athletes when we took it over to selling it out as a 500 athlete race. And um, so so and that's how it works. So you, uh, you you asked me, yeah, there are still 76 spots available and there are still 100 mile spots available. I know training for big ultra has been difficult over the last like two years, year and, year and eight months or whatever it is since COVID has come in and screwed everything up. It's very difficult to to... With, with races shifting dates and having to be postponed and cancelled and that kind of thing, I, I get that. But it's always good to have a goal. And if you want to keep your running going, um, train as if the race is going to happen. If it moves out, just consider that you've just been given a bit of an extra training window and take it from that perspective. You know what I mean? Because yeah. for a race like this, you've got to put the time in. If you want to come and run the miler or even the 76, you're going to have to put the, you're going to have to put the miles in to, to prep and condition your body properly for it. So, so something that's worried, not worried me, but something that's kind of niggled away at me for a long time, your cutoff times, they're, they're very generous. There's no question about that. But the 100 miler starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and ends at 3 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Why yeah. that cutoff? Why the 3 o'clock on Sunday morning? Okay, well, the 3 o'clock on Sunday morning just came about because, we, because of the time frame. We wanted to start the race on the Friday afternoon. Uh, it was originally it was going to be midday uh, and then 1 and then 2. And we, we figured on 2, that'll give the guys um, – a nice afternoon bit of running, uh, obviously, then the full Friday night and then all day Saturday. So we're maximizing on the daylight hours that we can give them from a, from a running perspective. Um, and, yeah, just 37 hours happen to be 3 o'clock in the morning on the on the Sunday. I mean, we've had um, two years ago when we had to stop the race for three hours, that shifted to 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. But we also do it to allow us a chance to sleep before we do prize giving and stuff on the Sunday. Um, you know, I don't really get to sleep much between Friday morning and, and Sunday morning. Yes, because we are hands-on management. You know what I mean. So, um, uh, like, if you're running any one of those distances, you will see me at some point on course doing something, either rescuing a runner or replenishing a watering point that maybe run out of water, or whatever scenario might come up. You will see me. So, so we are quite hands-on from that perspective. So, yeah, it's important that we can get a bit of a chance to gather our thoughts before we do a, a prize giving and, and that sort of thing on the Sunday as well. Yeah. Look, I'm having been there, I've seen you're very seldom at the finish line because you're always on the course somewhere, as you say. I'm always on the water, course, yeah. Fetching runners, doing yeah. all sorts of things. Okay, that's awesome. Um, yeah, actually, I've got one more question. So this is not Addo. You've just recently, uh -huh. you've just recently put another hundred miler on the calendar. On the um, calendar, that's right. Lofa, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe we're going to have to have you back and to talk about that one. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, Lofa is going to be fun. Um, you're right, another hundred miler for the for for our calendar, which we're quite excited about. It is. Um, it's going to be happening in December, so it's going to be quite a hot race. Yep. <laughs> you can hear my grandson making quite a racket in the background there. Um, yeah, so it's going to be quite a hot race. Um, we timing it so that you can crash one more big ultra in before Christmas. So you can go in and feast uh, without any big conscience issues, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's been earmarked as a um, 
kind of like a transition race between road and trail. So it is very much all forestry, road, jeep track. There are a couple of single track sections in, but nothing too technical. Our idea with LOFA is to try and bring more of our road running friends into the trail running family. So it's it's geared around making it an easily runnable race, um, but that will still take you out into the, into the middle of nowhere. Um, we are going to allow things like pacer runners. Um, there will be, there's at least one checkpoint where you'll be able to have your own crews that can come in and support you. It's an 80K loop race. So it's an, it's an out and back. And then you run the second loop in reverse, basically. Uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful um, piece of country. Uh, the Longmore Forestry Reserve is absolutely spectacular. You know, there's quite a nice bit of old history there. The guys will run past old Boer War forts. Um, uh, there are a couple of river, river crossings in there. Some absolutely spectacular views. They will summit uh, Blobach, which is the highest peak in the area. Um, the milers will summit it twice, and the 50s and the 50k guys will, will all go up at once. But, yeah, it's going to be an exciting race. I'd love to come back and chat a little bit more about it uh, with you, for sure. We'll definitely do that. Sean, thanks so much for joining me. It's been informative, even for me, and I've been involved with the race like three or four years, I think, <laughs> and it's been good. Thank you so much. Yeah, awesome. No, listen, thank you very much for having me. I, I, I mean, like I said to you, Ado is a, a very, very close to our heart for both myself and she, you know, as a, as a race. And, you know, from from having run it as our first ultra in 2012 to three years later, actually taking over managing it and building it into what it's become now. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's an awesome experience. If you want to come and do it, uh, get your entry in. There are, uh, like I said, there are still 76s and 40, 76s and milers. Uh, and uh, yeah, 44s email us, get on the waiting list. Uh, if we, anything, the way that that works, just say if anybody wanted to just to, like to close this off. Um, if you, we, we allocate 250 spots for the 44, 150 for the 76 and 100 for the 100 miler. And then we let that, we, we'll, we'll let those run through the course of the year in terms of other entries roll in. Whatever we don't sell by um, December, by the end of December on the 76 and on the miler, we then start releasing in small batches uh, to the 44k waiting list, so that we still get to that 500 runner capacity. So we're still allowing some late entries in the mile and the 76. But typically, if you're going to be entering those longer distances, you would already made the commitment and the decision because you've got to put the mileage in from a training perspective. So we figured that by you know no 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 that's it and 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 by uh, by if you made up your decision by the end of December, chances are you're not really going to be in there. So that's how the, so that's a typically how the 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 mailing list, uh, the, the the waiting list side of things will work. You know. That was Sean O'Keefe of Live Adventure giving us the inside track on Addo. Uh, and if you look out in the next episode, we will be doing the coach's perspective on how to prepare for this amazing event. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Mindful Runner, check us out at mindfulrunner.co.za on Instagram. You can find us at Mindful Runner. In the meantime, enjoy your running, happy trails, and don't forget to subscribe.